And if you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to open up to Daniel chapter 1 if you want to follow along with me, with me while I do a couple of readings before Wayne comes to speak with us. Reading from Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these un- unacceptable foods. And one more from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1 to 4. I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Thanks, Wayne. Good morning, everybody. Again, great to see you. I uh, want to take a few moments to unpack some thoughts about what it means to be undefiled. And uh, some synonyms for the word undefiled would be pure, uncontaminated. And uh, if you think about it from the point of view of uh, the air you want to breathe, the water you want to drink, the food you want to eat, uh, also the relationships you want to have, uh, and the worship that you want to offer God. And one of the things that we learn from the history of Israel through the Old Testament, or what we call the Old Testament, uh, is that they had this history of uh, being called up to a life of holiness, if you like, dedicated to the Lord for his purposes, and to offer worship to him. Um, and that was their identity that they were to walk in. But they... they kept leaving or walking away and sometimes they drifted away but sometimes they more openly rebelled against that and they end up in slavery or they end up in bondage um, and they lose their freedom to worship God and that because they forget their identity and sometimes they just mix it all up they're just engaged in in worship that's they got they got the the God who delivered them from Egypt 
going in the temple but they've set up these shrines and these other things around on the hilltops and the other places throughout the land and they're offering worship to all sorts of gods who are not gods and the prophets God sends them to speak to them and to say you've lost your way you were betrothed you belong to God He called you, he made you his own, and always the call is back to Exodus uh, 19, when they've come out of slavery in Egypt, and it's like, it's a betrothal seminar. Seminar's the wrong word. Ceremony. It's a betrothal ceremony. You might think of it as the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's a little short-sighted. It's a love language celebration of betrothal. It's because I've called you, because you belong to me, because I delivered you out of slavery, because I manifested myself, because I brought you safely through the wilderness. Don't worship anyone else because there is no other one else to worship. And the list goes on of the top 10, if you like. And when the people worshipped God and gave him what was, what was his due, which is entirely appropriate for all that he had done. Their society functioned beautifully, healthily. People thrived, whether they were, if you like, uh, native-born uh, Israelites or whether they were people that had come from other places to live with them in Israel because they saw the high-functioning society that they had. They had structure, they had order, they had economic prosperity, they had families that functioned, relationships that functioned. They saw these things and they wanted it. But wherever they drifted away from worshipping God and started to mix it, or whether they went away from God completely, the society and the culture went into decay. Murders rose, theft rose, sexual compromise rose, trust disappeared. People couldn't trust one another, didn't trust one another. And they began to follow the myths that the surrounding cultures had. And they neglected the truth that they had received by revelation of who God is given to them. So that's the backdrop of what I want to talk about this morning in what it means to be a people because we are subject to the same uh, proclivities as Israel in that we will drift from being people who are holy and purely devoted to the Lord and we will, we will mix in other things or we will leave him completely. We've all got that capacity within us. And we don't want to underestimate that. So Daniel finds himself as a young man. We think he's probably, he could be as young as 12 because he's referred to as a boy, not a man, in the text. And if you're a man in in Judaism, you've gone through your bar mitzvah, which happens at the age of 13, and you've become a man, but they're actually referred to as boys. So it's likely, don't die on that hill. Like... That he's 12, you know, but it's possible that he was. And so here he is. He's a 12-year-old boy, for example, 
He's a young man. We'll call him a teenager. He's a teenager. He has suffered the loss of his parents. His homeland has been destroyed. He's in another nation, a culture that does not worship the God that he's grown up. His parents have taught him how to worship God, the true God. They have prepared him for this because we believe that they are possibly in the court of the king. When Jeremiah the prophet's scroll was read out and the king tore it off section by section and threw it in the fire with utter disdain for the word of the prophet at that time. But we think that Daniel's parents took the words of Jeremiah the prophet to heart and said, this judgment is right and it's going to befall us. It's going to come on our children. We have to prepare our son for that. We have to prepare our son to live in exile in a foreign land, which in in Babylon, we have to prepare him and equip him. I want to encourage all of you parents to not be under the delusion that we do not live in Babylon. We do live in Babylon. We do need to prepare our children how to live for God in this culture that does not want to honour God, that will do all sorts of things and will lay the blame for all sorts of problems at anything other than the fact that we will not submit to God, we will not worship God, which is Romans 1. So Daniel finds himself in there. Um, Next slide, thanks. Keep sliding along. Yep. And we read that Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to him by the king. So... Now, take some notes here, that Daniel wasn't there by his choice. I've, I've had friends of mine that have put themselves by their choice in situations of compromise, where they're going to be forced to make a choice, whether they'll worship God or not worship God, whether they'll obey God or not obey God. Here, Daniel finds himself in a situation where he is having to make a choice as a young man, whose parents have taught him the ways of God, what am I going to do? The king's provided all this food, but I can't eat it. Well, some of it I can't eat because it goes against the food that it is not the food that God said I can eat. And I belong to him. My identity is in God. And so he's in this situation. It's a precious situation. And none of us really knows how we're going to behave under that kind of pressure because the kind of pressure is your life is on the line. That's literally it. Like if if Daniel opens his mouth, we've got the text. We know what happens. But when you're living in the situation, you don't know what's going to happen. You're just confronted with a choice. So Daniel as a young man is there with a choice. What do I do? Do I obey God or or do I compromise? And so the thing about Daniel's determined not to defile himself. He's like, I belong to the God who created the heavens and the earth. I belong to him. I don't want to do anything that dishonors him. No compromise. Just a word to parents. An encouragement to parents. 
is to set your children up for when you aren't there and the pressure is on. Uh, you know, in an age of, I'm not sure if it's still called this, it was called this in recent history, helicopter parenting. Um, that idea that you've got to be there all the time. Look, it's true when they're in nappies and all that kind of, you, like, you know, you've got to be helicopter parent then. But as they grow up, you want to, you've got to let them find some space. You can't be with them all the time, but you want to prepare them for when you aren't there by teaching them who they are in Christ, who they are in God, and that God's worthy of worship whether they live or die, whether it takes their life or not. At the moment, we're not in a situation where you're having to prepare children like that, but our friends in the underground church around the world are, and they're doing it. They're doing it. They're preparing their children for the kind of pressure that Daniel was under. Oh. Now, to eat or not to eat is an interesting question. Is it a few years ago that Julie and I made a commitment, an attempt, I'll say, and it was a commitment. We determined to follow the biblical food and clothes laws. Don't know if you've read these. And many of you think, well, they don't apply to us because I'm a new covenant Christian and blah, 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 blah. Well, whatever, get, get over that. Um, just be biblical. So we made a genuine attempt to follow this just to see what it was like. To see it's like you, you go to someone's house, you can't, there's stuff put in front of you, you can't eat. You go to a restaurant, there's stuff you can't order. And people who know you are like, hey, you used to always order this. Why aren't you ordering that anymore? It's like, because I'm on a different diet? <laughs> anyway, you've you got to find a way to do it without seeming creepy, without coming across as like, you know, super spiritual, all those kind of things. Um, it's hard. It's hard. So, now those of us that are going to Israel, it's going to be easy in Israel. To some degree. Um, but it's, it's a challenge. And you go to try and buy clothes that are not made of two different, um, you know, what do you call it, fibres, you know, right? You have to check the label on every single thing you're going to put on your body because it's got to be pure. It's got to, you know, it can't be mixed. What's the message? What's the message with all of this? No mixture. Holiness unto the Lord. If you've got to think about you see, the thing about it is every time we went to put food in our mouths and you've got to think about what you're putting in and whether it actually is in obedience to Christ or not, it's a constant reminder of who you are and who he is and that you belong to him. My life is no longer my own. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've got to be careful what I put on this temple and what I put in this temple. It shifts the equation. So regardless of what you think about following the biblical dietary laws, and by the way, contemporary kosher is not always the same as biblical dietary laws. There's a whole lot of stuff 
you'll find in, if you do any work in biblical kosher today, you'll find a whole mixture of interpretations of some of the words of scripture. But if you just take scripture at face value and do that, you'll be okay rather than getting lost in, in Judaism. You don't want to get lost in Judaism. But trying to follow those things was that constant reminder. We're set apart for God. We belong to him. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20, I just was speaking it to you. We're reminded that I don't, my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. I belong to him. I owe him everything. I want to live for his glory. And so my encouragement to you this morning is ask God, next slide, thanks. Ask God for the power to live a life without mixture. It's really a challenge for us. It's not something you can, any of us can pull off in our own strength. So I thought, God help me is, is one of the best prayers you will ever pray. It's just, God help me. Help me live a life without mixture. Help me to live a life like Daniel who honoured you while living in Babylon. Now we know that Daniel lived in Babylon for 70 years. We know that he had lots of adventures. He had lots of crunch points in his life. Where, and this one at the beginning is, is the first pressure test. And the thing about it is that was the setup for the pressure that was to come later, that was going to be greater. And so this idea of how do you build resilience in your own life and in the lives of your children, parents, is you let them go through times of testing and pressure so that they find out where their strength is and, where, and that they need God's strength. And some of us who are going to, on, on Israel tour are finding this out as we're preparing. Because we're all going into a context we are not familiar with. And the fear, the capacity for fear to rise up within us as we contemplate a whole range of factors. And we realize that there's only so much preparation that we can do. And, and want, but we go, God, it's up to you. So it's a great... It's a fantastic opportunity to grow in God. It really is. So please, parents, when prepare your children for pressure tests and walk them through pressure tests with learning to lean and to trust on God. Because pressure comes and it's going to increase because we are living in Babylon, we are not living in the promised land. And, see, and I believe God's looking for old people and young people who are determined to live in this culture without mixture, who, is, who have said this, set their hearts in the grace of God to say, I will live an undefiled life. I will live a life without mixture. I won't mix my worship. I won't mix my words. I won't mix my behavior. So many of us, we adapt our behavior based on how the people around us are responding. It's easy to do. It's much harder to be anchored and go 
And we and the the complexity of this is we want to maintain relational connection with people, but you want to do that without compromising behaviour. We don't have time, and I've chosen not to go there this morning for the rest of Daniel 8, but if you follow it along, what Daniel does is he approaches the person in authority over him and he asks for permission. He doesn't just wantonly rebel. He asks for permission. And there's a dialogue that goes on and you can learn a lot about how do you speak to people in authority when, when you're being told to do something that, that compromises your internal integrity and obedience to God. You can learn a lot from Daniel in that conversation and I encourage you to study it. But to live a life, God's wanting to raise up, I believe, a global community of Daniels for the, t- for the season that's coming preceding the return of Jesus because the pressure is going to increase. And we, we have to be able to stand in it. And it's like, if we can't stand now for Christ, we would be quite deluded to think that we will stand for Christ when greater pressure comes. When literally it's a choice of deny Christ and keep your job or... Uh, sorry, deny Christ... Um, yes and keep your job or keep Christ and lose your job and your income and your house and live on the streets hypothetically speaking but that is a choice that people in the underground church are making today the the stories abound of that so in the midst of all this God is at work and you may or may not have heard reports of how on February the 8th, next slide, if it's not already up there, the Asbury University Chapel service began, that began on Wednesday, February the 8th, is still going. Unceasing. And it's spreading to other university campuses where students are simply gathering together to worship Jesus, to exalt him. There's no, there's no big names. The confessing sins. There's just humility because it's simply all about Jesus. They just want to be with Jesus. Their hearts have been captivated. I saw a little interview with um, someone who's a staff member at at Asbury and uh, they have chapel services three times a week. It's compulsory for the students of the university to attend. I don't know if they have to attend all three or they just have to attend one. Um, So sometimes they go enthusiastically, sometimes they don't. They're all young adults. And uh, it's Black History Month in the USA at the moment. And so they had their gospel choir there for all their chapel services. The gospel choir means African-American choir, I think. And um, so rather than just being on the rotation, like they they have a rotation of who does what, you know, musically and whatnot. Um, And at the end of the, the chapel services was a normal chapel service and at the end the gospel choir was singing and they just felt like they wanted to keep singing they kept singing and singing and students stayed and students prayed and they're praying for one another and things just the whole it was a the gentleness they describe it as the gentleness of the peace and the love of god was just invading the space no one to leave. 
And they've been coming and going ever since. And people have been driving from all over the United States to go there. Um, and there's, you know, all sorts of things. And they've, yeah, and the faculty haven't stepped in. They haven't stepped in and taken it. So we'll take it from here, thanks, students. They've, they've let it be student-led. Um, I, I heard a report that, you know, there was one high-profile worship leader rang and said, how could they serve? And they said, it's okay, we've got worship covered. We've got our ragtag bunch of musos here. Um, if you watch the live stream, it's, it's not produced. As people just wanting to be with Jesus. And things are happening. People are, people are being delivered. Um, people are giving their lives to Christ. I read of uh, an international student um, who was giving a testimony on stage and talking about um, the challenges and difficulties and how he wants to train and equip to go back to Brazil. Um, and... He was, excuse me, he was talking about the financial pressures on him as an international student. People began to get up from all over the place. Just came with money at his feet. It's just random, isn't it? But beautiful. Because Jesus was being exalted. All we want is Jesus and people want to obey Jesus and do what Jesus wants. So, may it spread here. May it spread in this college, in this hall, this week, in chapel services, in our classrooms, students. Asbury University is not all Christians. There's a, it is a Christian university, but it's not all Christians in that school. That's why there's students giving their lives to Christ in the context of this. So... Encourage, yeah, just encourage you to go and have a look. You can find live streams. Like I said, it's not very, it's not, don't expect high production. It's just not, it's just very raw. Just people enjoying being with Jesus and singing to Jesus and walking in humility. So, which reminds me of, the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 to 4. And Paul says this, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Our God is a jealous God. He's jealous because he saved us. He purchased us with his blood, with his life. His love for us is, cannot be questioned. Right? Does God love me? Look at the cross. Contemplate the cross. And so, when, so Paul, uh, I love this letter. Because um, it, it's a letter where Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's actually having to defend himself because of a whole lot of stuff that's going on in the place. And Paul says, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Because I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, to Christ. My prayer is that 
me, Julie, we already carry this. But our board, our overseers, all of those people that we listed up there, that you will all carry this in your heart. Carry this sense of, I'm jealous for you because you belong to Christ. Don't compromise. Don't say it doesn't matter when it does. Don't live a life of mixture. Live a life of pure and simple devotion to Christ. Let Christ fill you so that others can drink you, in a sense. But they'll be drinking the purity of Christ. Because you've, you've focused on that. There is already in the earth increasing deception. And it is in the body of Christ where things are being said and things are being taught, not from this platform, but in other places, which are preaching another Christ. The same things that Paul was agitated about in 2 Corinthians 11. Christians are following a different spirit. They're following a different doctrine of Christ because they're not students of the scripture. Because they're not immersing themselves with pure and simple devotion to Christ. And so they're being easily led astray. And so all of us, me included, we all need a filtration system or a process for our life. And I tried to pick that up in this slide here. We need a life filter system that filters our body, soul and spirit, our mind and emotions. It needs multi-stages. If you know anything about water filtration, you know, one filter is good, or oh, two's better, three, that's even better. If I can sell you three, I'll make more money. I'm not selling water filters. So we all need, so we're living in Babylon, we're, be, we're being immersed in this, so we've got to have a filtration system that we have in our lives that helps us and filters out all the toxins, all the impurities, all the mixture of our culture. And, it's, and it really comes down to pure and simple devotion to Christ. Lifelong biblical obedience. Prayer and Christian community. Let me just quickly make a few comments about each of those. We talk a lot about being Bereans. Acts 17. Bereans, they eagerly received the word that Paul was speaking to them, but they went and studied the scriptures for themselves to see if what they were being taught was actually true. Be Berean. Test everything. Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians. It was, it was in the context of prophetic words. It was like, don't despise prophecy, but test everything and hold to what is good. So a lot of people, because of some really... Um, Toxic prophecies regarding the most recent presidential election in the United States and the things that were said, people have gone, there's nothing, it's rubbish. No, that should have been tested. The rubbish should have been discarded. But people wanted to believe certain things. Test everything. Study the Bible. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God, is useful for correction, for rebuke, rebuke, and growing in understanding how to obey God. Biblical obedience, Matthew 7, Jesus says, it's you, your house, your life is strengthened against storms if you build on obeying me. Makes, 
It's no good. You could be here every Sunday. You can hear the great preaching that we have here every Sunday. But if you don't go out of here and obey what you've learned, your house is sand. Storms will come. Floods will come. You will collapse. That's what Jesus said. It's obedience that builds the strength. And prayer. And our, our pattern of embracing the historical ancient practice of what we call praying the Bible, which is using the Bible as our prayer book. That's what was done for thousands of years and God's restoring it across the earth and it's beautiful and that's why we do it. We pray the scriptures. So, and we need Christian community. We need Christian community because we're, in isolation we can come up with all sorts of fanciful ideas. And we saw the tragedy of three people completely excluded from Christian community who were supposedly holding to something the Bible teaches, massacre police officers in Queensland in December last year. It had nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible, nothing to do with anything the Bible teaches. Disconnected from community, isolated, they came up with all sorts of myths and conspiracy theories and set about to, do, to kill people for some unknown reason. We need Christian community. We need to practice the one another commands. There's over 21 another commands in the New Testament. If, you get, if any of you like choked on practicing the Old Testament commands, which there's 613 of those, um, well, I just challenge you, just do the one another ones in the New Testament. That'll keep you busy for the rest of your life until Jesus comes back. Because the one another commands, and house churches are a gift for that, as are, as are other contexts. But uh, it's this thing of like, you know, I can, I can believe that I'm really Christ-like until I get in a relationship with someone. Marriage is the great sanctifier. We find out that we're not holy, we were just living an undisturbed life. When you're young and single, you can do whatever you want and you can, go, you can convince yourself that you're holy and then you get married and you're like, who are you? So, but it's in the context of community we find out how much of me has been transformed and conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And that process is lifelong and ongoing, hallelujah. We never get to the end of it, so we always walk in humility. But that is God's process, to be, that we would be transformed to be like Christ, we'll be conformed to his likeness. And there is an eternal beauty and an eternal reward for that. And let's go to the last slide. So uh, to live an undefiled life is to reveal the beauty of holiness. That was God's plan at the beginning of calling Israel to be his people out of all the other nations and setting them apart, to live undefiled, to worship him alone without mixture because it was to display the beauty of holiness, the beauty of what it means to belong to him, to live with knowing I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in me. So I'm careful about what I put in and I'm careful about what comes out. And I'm constantly crying out for his transformation. Daniel 
under pressure in Babylon, determined not to defile himself. Testing is something that exposes and reveals our strength or lack of it. When houses are built, well, when all buildings are built, over, over, over decades, engineers have worked out exactly the right amount of concrete and how it needs to be combined with steel to make reinforced concrete to support the weight of how many floors are going to be above it. We walk in, get in an elevator, go up to the 45th floor. We do not blink an eye. We do not think for a moment that, did anyone test this steel before, they, before I got in here? Because we think it's already been done. And for the most part, it has and should have because we've got processes in place. But the, pro- the, the point I simply want to make is they do lots of tests. They do it on wood, they do it on steel, they do it on concrete, they do it on lots of things to expose where it's, what is the maximum strength that load can bear. So think about this. When your life comes under stress, comes under pressure, it's designed to show you how much of Christ you need. It's designed to show you how you have conformed to him or not conformed to him. And if you break under the weight, the gospel says you are not the end. There is still hope for you in Christ. And this is where I want to land this morning. Because Hebrews 4.16 Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, is a word that we need to hear. And particularly, I want to speak this word to those of you that may feel like this is a word of condemnation to you because you go, man, I got compromised all through my life. I got defilement running all through my life. Here is the word of hope from God himself, our high priest. We have a great high priest who understands our weaknesses because he has been tested in every way just as we are tested. And so we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God where we will find grace and mercy when we need it most. And when do we need it most? We need it most when we've cracked under the pressure. That's when we need it most. And so when we crack under the pressure, often shame will ride in on that and want to tell us to run from God and we need to resist that and run to him. Got to run to him. This is what, like if you don't have Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 underlined in your Bible, highlighted, double highlighted, triple highlighted with a big circle around it, do it. This is a verse you need to live in. When you realize that your strength is broken, you've compromised, you've defiled yourself, it's to not continue on that path, it's to run into his presence before his throne of mercy. Listen to the language that we're being spoken here. We've got a great high priest, Jesus, 
We can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. It's unimaginable the privilege we have because of Christ. To come with a confidence before his throne in brokenness, in weakness. That we will find grace. We'll find mercy when we need it most. So run to him today, people. Run to him today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are, the, you are the one who reveals the deep and the hidden things in our lives. Holy Spirit, you are the one who searches us. You are the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. You are the one that knows where we have stumbled and fallen, where we have compromised, where we have have lived with mixture where we have where we have adapted our behavior and our words to the people around about us we've failed the test we've not been like daniel who determined not to defile himself in the midst of babylon and so gracious god Jesus, our great high priest, right now, we come before your throne of mercy because we need grace. We need forgiveness. We confess our sin. If you're in this situation this morning, just begin to confess your sin to the Lord. Confess your sin to him. Say, Lord, Here's where I compromised, you know it. Here's where I defiled myself. I confess it as sin. I come in humility to receive grace and mercy because this is my time of need, God. I need you, God. I need fresh revelation of you. The eyes of my heart open to see you as you really are. And to be strengthened with might and power in the core of my being. That my faith will not fail me. When greatest storms come, when greater times of testing come. Lord Jesus, I pray, I'm asking you Jesus now, right now, for every single one that's listening to my voice. I'm asking you to strengthen them with your might and power. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that the fullness of the life and the power of the resurrected Christ would flow into all of those who have humbled themselves, all of those who have confessed their sin to you right now. Release, in accordance with your word, Father, release your grace. Release mercy in their time of need. And release strength, strength to endure. that we would be a people Lord that our lives individually and our households our families and this community of people called New Life Church in this region would be a people that others see the beauty of holiness the beauty of your holiness 
people who walk in the grace of God. So help us, Lord. Thank you that you are helping us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.